What values should guide our work and our interactions? We want your input. Join a virtual community call Tuesday, March 2nd, 6 to 8 p.m. Register at WJFFRadio.org. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Support for WJFF comes from Two Queens, offering coffee, tea, and bees. Located in Pete's Plaza, Narrowsburg, New York. TwoQueensCoffee.com. And from listener donations at WJFFRadio.org. Support for Radio Catskill comes from the Calicoon Theater an updated vintage movie theater with new releases, film festivals, nostalgic screenings, live music events, and more. Information and schedule at thecalicoontheater.com. Hello, everyone. It's Saturday morning on WJFF, and that means you're listening to... Travels with Travels with Travels with Tricks. Who's he gonna talk to now? What's he gonna talk about? Where we gonna go? Travels with Tricks. Hi, everyone. This is Greg on Travels with Triggs. And today we are talking to one of my best friends, a Disney icon, a Disney legend, a funny woman, and a wonderful, warm person, Mary Thompson Hunt. Say hi to everyone, Mary. Hi, everybody. Thank you for that beautiful intro. Thank you. I'll have to remind you that. <laughs> it can be your ringtone. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, Mary and I performed together for many years at Walt Disney World at a nighttime resort destination called Pleasure Island. And we were part of the ensemble at the Comedy Warehouse doing short form improvisational comedy. And I believe Mary was the longest standing member of the company. Isn't that right, Mary? Yeah, from when it opened till as improv until the closing night in 2008 yes do you have any idea i know i personally did 9000 shows as part of the ensemble and i'm sure you did even more do you have any idea how many shows you did someone figured it out on paper and told me 40000 i think oh is that possible anything's possible with improvisation yeah i'll do the math later if you figure and you go low like 15 shows a week. That's low, actually, right? Because we usually did more. So, you know, Mary, one thing I love in improv is diversity within the company. And not diversity in uh, only its normal use of the word, but also in terms of point of view and comic mm -hmm. philosophy, right? You're going to reach mm -hmm. a bigger audience. So I was just wondering if you would share a little bit about your approach to comedy, your philosophy, what excites you as a comedic performer? I like being in the magic of it. I, the one thing about improvisation is if you're in the moment, you're not scripting, you're allowing yourself to fall into the future. And it's all in response to what you just heard or whatever gift was just given to you by the other actor. Maybe they did something physical. And sometimes it might be something that they didn't realize was a was an offer, like a cough or a sneeze or, or a trip. But then the whole scene can change because of that. And that's kind of magical too. So I like seeing what a moment peels itself open to to be possible with. It's about exploring possibilities rather than limitations. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And within what we were just talking about, what what makes your point of view unique in terms of your comedy? I've always liked to play. 
I remember my sister saying she used to love to come to my room because I'd have fairies there that we would play make-believe with. And I like the idea that improvisation uses your imagination. So although sometimes not always to the thrill of the cast, like, oh my God, she made us spirits. Or, oh my goodness, we're talking flowers now. But every now and then a scene like that adds something to a show and not you wouldn't want every scene as talking furniture or whatever but I like creative choices and my mom was always very creative um she would always find interesting ways to look at things and I think I have a lot of that in me oh I think you do too and I would use the word wiggle I think that you are you are not hindered by reality your improvisation maybe more so than anyone I've ever improvised with creates its own specific reality in a way that I know I grew through. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you, Greg. Yeah, sometimes it's fun not to get in a car, but to be the car, you know what I mean? (laughs) And But you just have to, what I've learned over the years, though, it became very clear that you have to work extra hard to paint the picture so that to help your actor know what it is they can add to the co-actor. I think that's an excellent point. If if the if the cast does not completely understand your choice, give it more detail until mm-hmm. they hear the thing they can respond to. Right. Do the work. Don't just put it out there. And another question I'm curious about is, you know, if an audience were to come and see you, um, but they didn't necessarily your, know your name, what do you think are three words that they might use to describe you? After, after seeing a show, mm-hmm. um, funny, <laughs> playful, um, mischievous. That's three. Way to go. And I agree <laughs> with all of them. Um, one, <laughs> thing, one thing that I think about when I think about your comedy, Mary, is the warmth and how much an audience loves you. And frankly, I used to find that so intimidating. I thought an audience is never going to respond to me on an emotional level the way they do Mary. And then one day I thought, gosh, I've been so in touch with the pettiness of that thought or the jealousy that I haven't breathed through those moments to create my version of that best I can. And so I, mm-hmm. I just want to acknowledge that I've, I've learned a lot through your strengths and really appreciate Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I, as I have through yours, um, you would say the things I would only think sometimes. But then I started saying, well, I guess I could say that because if you don't mean it, it means spiritedly, because sometimes it's just funny to say the wrong thing. You know, oh, and you wore that tonight. Thanks for dressing up, you know, being sarcastic or whatever. But if they know that you're you're there to make people laugh and you're not there to put anyone down and and you, none of us were mean spirited people. That's very true. And I think after this last phase of politics in American history, I've very often I've thought, I'm glad I'm not doing that show right now because it's such a fraught time. It feels like people are waiting for you to say the wrong thing right. And, right. and waiting to punish you because they're frustrated. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you were still performing during that. How did how did the pressure of the country, especially at a place like Walt Disney World, inform your choices or change your approach? Any thoughts on that? Actually, I I think it our job actually got a little easier because people were so starved for innocent laughter. 
that they could laugh at something with their children and their mother. And so they came already like excited more than I've seen them excited. Like they made it, they made this happen anyway, despite what's going on. So I don't think I've changed anything, but when an audience comes at you like that, it's just so easy to love on them even more. It all comes down to is just loving on people. Well, and that's, that reminds me of something Chris Oyen said to us once where uh, as entertainers, if the audience knows you're for there for them first, mm-hmm. they're, they're going to respond to you in a different way. Exactly. Exactly. And then after a while, you learn how to read certain people and personalities and body language. It's so obvious when someone just does not want to be bothered and leave them alone. I, I never understood the actors. They were like, no, I'm going to make you listen and like me. Why? There's 8,000 other people here and some are in line to see you. So go where you're wanted. That's uh, well, that's the other great thing about improvisation, right? Is it teaches you life lessons. Um, mm-hmm. You know, go where you're wanted. Uh, read the room, mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what are a few mm-hmm. of the life lessons you've gotten through improvisation? Well, certainly reading the room, taking the temperature of someone's disposition. Uh, you know, in, if we're starting a scene and, you know, I'm huffing and puffing and throwing things down, you know, okay, uh, this character's got something going on that's got her angry. And people, for the most part, I've gotten really good at just knowing who is ripe and ready to play. It's just another, even just at a supermarket, you can tell. Uh, there's a lightness. There's a, They're not in a mad rush to get somewhere and they're looking around. And so you become their focus and that, um, that makes it easier. So learning how to pick someone to play with is something it took a while, but now it's second nature. But I think that's made me a better person. You were a performer at Walt Disney world for 30 years. Am I remembering that number correctly? I started December 20th, 1990. And ended in 2020 because of the pandemic. So almost 30 years. Yeah. What helped you keep your performances fresh? Because I think that's another wonderful gift of improv, right? It's not always the same. (laughs) You're not doing the same show for 30 years. But what kind of skills did you develop that allowed you to keep your approach towards your career fresh? Well, keeping the work fresh is just being in the moment. Even if I did a scene last night about a car, that's not what it's in my mind. And I love that um, Chris Wayne very early, uh, he was our show director and um, is such a, has a great way of teaching when he directs. And he would say, um, bring people along with you, you know, paint a part of the picture so that they have a place to see where they can go. And I think that's true in life too. I think my communication with people has gotten better when not on stage, just because in improv, you learn to say the most important things because you don't have a lot of time in a scene. So you want to get out who, what, where, when, why, as soon as you can. And you want to do it with finesse. So it doesn't look like I'm just adding, 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 you know, so you add an emotion to it. You add a reason. Um, And just watching a scene come together is very exciting because you're just building blocks, building a house together with someone. And just um, in that same spirit, do you have a memory of an exceptionally fun moment on stage at the Comedy Warehouse or a scene or just a moment that stands out as one of your favorites? Um, there have been so many. I, there, was, there was someone famous on the phone 
that uh, we, there was a phone that was would, was on the side of a wall for those who never saw the comedy warehouse, and it would randomly ring, and uh, an audience member would inevitably pick it up, and we'd interview them and do a song about them, and it was someone famous, and I didn't know who it was, but everyone in the cast did, and it seems like everyone in the audience did, and everyone was yelling at me, who, who, who? <laughs> Well, I can't for the life of me remember who it was, um, but I, I but I remember it being such a big th- and it was like a callback throughout the entire night, less known one show. Well, I think that's one of the other gifts of improv, right? Is it's okay not to know because mm-hmm. not knowing is going to take some form. Something very similar happened to me once where I was talking to a jean sales rep and I said, oh, what kind of jeans do you sell? And he said, guess. And I said, I don't know, Levi. And he said, no, guess. And I said, Wrangler. And I started getting so angry with him. And it took about 30 seconds for me to realize that he was selling guest jeans. But <laughs> as stupid as I felt in that moment, I now love that I was in a position where you just honestly express what you're thinking, right? It's yes, rare. yes. It's rare. You were frustrated. And and you knew how priceless and precious that was because you t- like to often have sort of have the leg up and you didn't. You were the only one that didn't get it. And that, was, that frustration you were going through was just as funny as whatever it was that was not right. It was and just it was perfect. so sincere. <laughs> oh. So what um, was that saying? Laughter, um, comedy is other people's pain. Yeah. <laughs> and that night it was your pain. Yes. And it <laughs> lingers. Oh, how it lingers. Um, <laughs> well, the other thing I was hoping you would share with us, Mary, is that your wonderful story about the first time that you were at Walt Disney World as a, a woman of color and, and, and what you learned because you, you didn't see yourself represented on stage. Could mm-hmm. you share that story? Sure. Well, this was back in the 60s, uh, early 60s. And I just remember not seeing any entertainers of color. Um, I, I don't even think I saw an Asian person. Um, and you know how many Hispanic people are out there. And they, I just saw it was all very blonde hair, blue eyed and, you know, a couple of brunettes. <laughs> it, it felt that way. So it was just interesting because um, we grew up in New Jersey and everywhere I went was integrated. That was very important to my parents that we learned to get along with everybody. But yeah, so so it has changed. Yeah, they have a lot of us now. <laughs> and I think you were an important part of that, Mary. And we will come back to discuss that in just a few seconds as Travels with Triggs continues. Travels with Triggs. When I was a kid, my extended family used to do road trips across the Midwest. Hi, this is Ari Shapiro. Because this was in pre-cell phone days, we had CB radios. I was a kid with dreams of being an actor when I grew up. And so we all had code names on these CB radios. And my code name was Waiter. Because even as a young kid, I knew that being an actor really meant being a waiter. Let your car take one last road trip. Donate it now. Go to WJFFradio.org. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Travels with travels with travels with trees. And we are back. Welcome. For those of you just joining us, we are talking to Mary Thompson Hunt, a Disney performer, an icon in Orlando, Florida, and one of my best friends. We were just talking, Mary, uh, about diversity and the importance of representation. Uh, 
especially for children, right? Mm -hmm. So that they can relate to the story so that they can see the possibilities for themselves if they choose their passion. And I think one of the most exciting things about your career is in addition to comedy, you've also been a very successful interviewer. Uh, You understand the art of communication and conversation, which is indeed a passion of yours. But the thing I want to talk about is for many years, to my way of thinking, you were the personality uh, for Disney's uh, approach to Black History Month. Would you say that was fair? Mm hmm. And when I first started there in our department, actors, it was Jim Braswell and myself. I believe we were the only two. Another very talented man. Oh, yeah. And a dear heart. Um, And so when we saw each other, like, hey, I heard about you. (laughs) Um, But how it has grown, how it has grown. I'm so proud of our company for seeing that and handling it Um, just to represent all of our guests. Um, So, you know, we have Asian, we have African-American, we have uh, Hispanic. uh, it's, It's lovely. But I was specifically talking about Black History Month and the program where oh, yes. you bring notable uh, performers or mm-hmm. personalities or leaders of their industry of color to talk mm-hmm. about their careers and their lives. And you were the interviewer for those. Yes, those it was an days. honor. Diane Carroll was one of my favorites and she was she, she had a handler with her that came up to me and said, Miss Carol um, does not wish to be spoken to uh, and she will, she would like this and she wants to talk about this during the show you know, off stage. She didn't want to at any rate. All I remember is by the second day, we did four interviews to the first day and she was just, she was just really impressed because at one point she said, where do you get these questions from? Cause I did my research. It was very important that I did research on each person I interviewed. I could, write their biography um, because that, that made it rich for me. Like, what was I curious about? And sure enough, people resonated to those questions. But anyway, so she was sat down and she came into the dressing room where I was and she patted the chair next to her and went, Mary, come sit. And I remember thinking, Oh, the queen has summoned me to sit. And then she turns to me full facing me and goes, so tell me about yourself. She leaned in. It was just really sweet. So I was like, Oh, was um, she as but, beautiful in person as she was on television? Yes. It's just not fair. <laughs> <laughs> she looked like she, she came right off of Julia. Oh, my God. I just dated myself. <laughs> I, I'm not familiar. Um, anyway, you were also a big fan of uh, Ben Vereen, who you also yes. interviewed, correct? Yes, yes. And then I had him laughing because I told him, I used I saw Pippin 11 times. I used to go stand by the stage door and talk to Max and he would tell me if you were there already or not. And he was laughing so hard and he goes, come here. And he gave me a hug. It was really sweet. And then um, also I remember because you introduced me to her, Nell Carter yes. from give me a break and the film hair yes. and ain't misbehaving on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, what was she like? I saw her in that. She was a blast. She's everything you would think she was. Uh, she was not shy. She um, she had quite a mouth on her, but in a fun way. And and there was one thing she did that really touched me because I kept asking her this question. She wasn't answering. And finally, she, she kind of snapped at me. She was, haven't you noticed I haven't answered? I went, yeah, why? And she made everyone hold hands and promise that they would 
listened to what she was going to say and her lesson about it. And I'm just embarrassed right now. I'm trying to think what it was that she, oh, it was a show that she was in that it was not easy for her. And there were some tensions there. And I think it had something to do with race, even though I can't remember what, but it was the hardest time in her life. Oh, well, she was, she said it, it's in her book. Um, she was, she was doing drugs, but oh my God, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. It was really sweet. One thing I really loved about the weekend I got to meet her through you was she just kind of unapologetically cut a wide path and left a little chaos in her wake but it was fun and it was compelling and it wasn't an affectation. It was honestly who mm-hmm. she was. She could mm-hmm. not have been anyone else in my limited amount of time with her. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's okay to say this or not, but I cracked up. There we were in the break room, not even the dressing room, the break room. She says, it's hot in here. And so she just takes off a shirt, takes off a bra, puts on a different shirt. And I'm like, she goes, oh, I'm out of that thing. I'm like, Okay. <laughs> yes. Can I say um, that on your show? <laughs> uh, you certainly can. Uh, we, we, we welcome public displays of nudity on the radio. Um, but I Jim love Brown. the fact here. What Jim about Brown, Jim yes. Brown? Jim Brown, he was so super cool. Um, he and a gentleman. And you know what? I really, I appreciated so, so many of the people that came took time and they they actually wanted to ask about me, which I thought, well, how, how I took that as a sign that I was doing a good job because I made them feel that at home. But I think also the fact that I would have always a couple, a surprise question that was different each of the four times I'd interview them um, that I was curious about that would always make them go, huh? Well, well, and then, but to see them light up at that memory of something that was a little off the beaten path for them to talk about, I think that's when you get a little bit of their character. What do you think are the qualities that lead to success or lead to a career that maintains its its spark? To stay in love with it, to find ways to love what you do, um, even if it's the people with whom you work. Um, always visit like Pleasure Island. I would always go out to that stage in between a show just to look at it and go, this is where I work to take the moments to take in what you've created in your life every day that you're so grateful for my husband, my home, my dogs, um, my job, my friends. I, 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 my life is so full and I bet you anyone here listening could make a whole list of it, but we tend to hold on to it's sort of human nature, all those things that aren't going right so much of the time. Um, but you really need to have it at least 60, 40 and 60 is what's going right. Cause that's how you build more. And celebrate what you have. Um, the other thing I'm wondering, Mary, you're now in a transition yourself. You are done performing with uh, Walt Disney World, at least for now. Uh, but you've had all of these wonderful experiences. When you think about what you want to do next, what are some of the things you're thinking about? What new challenges do you want to take on? Well, I've been thinking about that. Um, you know, Joshua Vickery and I did our radio show for four years we started at local tv i like radio i might think about doing that um in fact i am thinking about it and 
I might consider writing a book. And in fact, I'll get my friend Greg Triggs to give me some advice on getting started. Um, but I'm taking notes of things I would want to talk about. I, I think um, one of the greatest lessons I've gotten from improvisation is to yes and offers and by yes anding opportunities. So things that I used to say just no to just because, I don't know, just seem more polite or, you know, I don't, why would I? I say yes if I don't have a good reason not to. And I also look at it as a little bit of destiny. Everything that comes your way, if you think about it, you know, what if there is some destiny there? And either way is right. Um, but yes, certainly adds color. It does. And it builds its own momentum. Mm-hmm. So the last question I'll ask you, Mary, is, you know, there are probably parents listening to this show uh, of kids that they want to support in their ambitions or kids listening, thinking about what they want to do. And, you know, with my own nieces and nephews, I always find that they start by telling me what they aren't going to do. And I always want to say to them, I'm not interested in what you've rejected. I want to know how to help get you what you want. So, mm-hmm. so own that. Tell me. What, what advice would you give for the families out there that are trying to support a younger member's ambitions or um, give them permission to pursue their dreams? Support them. We have our dreams for a reason. Not everyone dreams to be in a play. So if they have that dream to be in a play, and they might not become an actor, they might become a politician, they might become a boss. But the thing that if it is acting, it teaches you, one of the things that an acting teacher will always say is, what do you want at this moment? What's your want? That is so empowering at any moment. What is your want for this moment? And what is your ultimate want for in five years, 10 years? And if you're always pointed in that direction, you're doing the right thing. And that's an acting technique, but I use that in life because what do I want? And what do I, what's the bigger one? Um, and then let that dictate your next action. How do you think your parents supported you in a way that helped create the wonderful things we've been able to talk about today? My mom was very magical. Um, the way she cooked, she sewed, she gardened. She was very creative. She painted. She worked in pastels. So we all had sing, uh, I had singing lessons. We had, I had played flute and violin. Patty played piano, Proben played accordion. Uh, I got into plays and she would take me to the auditions. She would take me to the rehearsals. Um, and so she, yes. And, and even when I went to major in theater, she was okay. Um, never sure what would happen, but, um, I was, I'm very blessed that I had parents that were supportive because as you and I know, not all parents are. Well, and your parents lived what you've been talking. How many days did they know each other before they got married? Oh, three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> they met each other on a blind date. And then three weeks later, they got married. And they were well, married. They knew what they wanted. For I don't know if they made it to 50 years. I don't think they did. But they were married a very long time, 40-something Well, on behalf of everyone who's been listening today, I say a big thank you to Betty and Proben Thompson and their daughter, Mary Thompson Hunt. Uh, It's been so nice to talk about these things today, Mary. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Greg. You did a nice job. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, everyone, that's it for Travels with Triggs. Donna Fellenberg will be back next week with Catskill Character. 
travels with travels with travels with trees. Who's he gonna talk to now? What's he gonna talk about? Where are we gonna go? Travels with trees. Support for Radio Catskill comes from the Calicoon Theater, an updated vintage movie theater with new releases, film festivals, nostalgic screenings, live music events, and more. Information and schedule at thecalicoontheater.com. Support for WJFF comes from Two Queens, offering coffee, tea, and bees. Located in Pete's Plaza, Narrowsburg, New York. TwoQueensCoffee.com. And from listener donations at WJFFRadio.org. Radio Catskill, keeping you connected with our new local public affairs show, The Local Edition. We're here to advocate for our counties and our residents, and we want vaccine supplies. Community news for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. They are picking and choosing who they bring to the table. Join us right after All Things Considered. We recently improved on the health record, am I correct? You are correct. We did move up one spot. The Local Edition, weeknights at 6.30 on Radio Catskill. In 1964, hundreds of students went south for the Mississippi Summer Project, an attempt to increase voter registration among African Americans. Three of the young workers, James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, and Michael Schwerner, disappeared in Neshoba County, a bastion of hardcore segregation. Two months later, their bodies were found buried in an earthen dam. On the next Folk Plus, Missouri Radio's Pablo Mashugi and Michael Schwerner's cousin on a special about those three missing college students. That's the next Folk Plus. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Support comes from the Homestead School, Lens Bay, New York. Montessori education and life skills for preschool through 8th grade on an 85-acre campus with farm animals. Award-winning solar-powered alternative since 1978. Homesteadschool.com. Support for Radio Catskill comes from the Neversink General Store. Featuring an award-winning chef, smoked barbecue year-round, local products and catering. Now offering takeout, neversinkgeneralstore.com. And from listeners like you. So often 